Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see everybody this morning and on a bright, uh, I would say, a summer day because it's really 29 degrees this morning. I was getting up and my wife said, don't wear these thermal underwears as you go today. You don't need them. I said, thank you for reminding me. It's a beautiful day today anyway. So sorry, I'm being too personal about stuff. So, but but this, this is the first message I got from my wife this morning. Anyway. Good morning and uh, greetings to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and I want to welcome everybody who is uh, chose to be up there, uh, closer to heaven and those who are seated here and I just want to welcome everyone. It's, it's beautiful, it's great. As you know, we are on a journey through the Gospel of John and, uh, and in, in chapter 5, uh, we have actually come to the very last uh, verses of chapter 5, the last section of chapter 5. It all started with Jesus healing a man crippled for 38 years by the pool of Bethesda on a Sabbath day. The whole problem is not the healing. The problem was it was on a Sabbath day. And the Jews started accusing Jesus of breaking the Sabbath. So instead of defending why he, it was okay for him to heal on a Sabbath day, Jesus speaks of his deity and making himself equal with God. And last week we looked at in verses 24 to 30, Jesus spoke of there are two destinies for man. And he spoke of, you know, there is, there is the spiritually dead and the spiritually alive, meaning there's eternal life or eternal condemnation. And then he said later on, he said, the determinant of the destiny, who decides as to who, who, who to go where, it is the Lord himself, Jesus himself. He is the only one who can impart, impart eternal life. We looked at it the last time. And then he said... He's the one who's going to judge us. He's going to raise all the ones who are dead. And we looked at that every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. So clearly Jesus is claiming to be equal with God. But the question is this church, to you and to the Jews themselves is, how do we know that these claims are true? He's claiming, I am equal with God and what are the evidences to back them up? So we have to understand the Jewish law requires at least two or three witnesses to establish any legal matter. Two or three witnesses. So in order to verify this claim that Jesus made, in today's text we are going to see that Jesus further gives a number of witnesses. So that's what you're going to see in today's text. Now, this passage can be divided into two groups. As you heard, it was a very long passage. And, you know, you may be wondering, you know, how are you going to handle all these long passages in the short time that we have? So as you know, I love to break it down and give some titles. It makes it easy for us to understand the passage. Now, when I look at it, I divide it into two groups, this passage. Verses 30, 30 to 40... I want to give the title, The Defense for the Deity of Christ. The Defense. 
Jesus is providing witnesses. He is giving four witnesses as we see this to show that he is the Son of God. And the latter part of it, starting from verses 41 to 47, I see it as a denial for the deity of Jesus. The denial. Now Jesus is giving four reasons why people reject the deity of God. So we're looking at the defense and we are looking at the denial. Now it's easy to comprehend, isn't it? There are only two sections that we have. Now because of time constraints, as you know, I'll be cruising over pretty rapidly, so I just want you to fasten your seatbelts and pay close attention to this. So this is what we are going to see, the defense and the denial. Now, please note, church, because of the nature of the text that we have, it's a long text, there's going to be a bit of teaching and preaching. So first and foremost, I'm going to ask you to do this, to picture yourself in a courtroom. You're in a courtroom right now. And, and you are going to witness a, a, an, an argument that is taking place in the court. Now, the defender is our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the defender. The offender, they are the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders. Keep that in mind as we go through this. It's very interesting, very exciting as you go through this. Now, here's the first verse. Let us dive into the text. The first verse says, verses 31 to 32... If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true, Jesus is saying. There is another, talking about someone else, we'll come to this later, who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. So the first defense, as I said, he's defending the deity of Christ. The first defense Jesus is presenting, and let me first make the claim and then I'll explain it. He says it is the Father, or Yahweh, bears witness to Jesus through his own testimony of himself. It is the Yahweh bears witness. Everybody can understand. The Jewish audience can understand when he says Yahweh bears witness. You're the God of Abraham, the God of Moses, the God of Jacob, he bears witness. So in order for us to understand this particular claim of Jesus or the witness, we need to go back to earlier texts what Jesus spoke of himself. Now, I told you that he claimed his deity by giving a number of unique traits that are common with Yahweh. We saw that earlier on in chapters 5 at the very beginning to 18 to 23, Jesus was making himself equal with God in nature, in his works, in love, in knowledge, in sovereign power, in judgment, and in worship. You were there as I was going through those terms. So please note this. Who is saying what about whom? Interesting, isn't it? Who is saying this? Jesus is saying about whom? About himself. About what? About his deity. Just come along with me. So church, the moment you hear it, you are in the courtroom. And you look at Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, listen. The self-evidence is not admissible in a court of law. You cannot prove the point by saying, this is who I am. So as I said earlier, the Jewish law requires the testimony of at least two or three witnesses. So Jesus knew it. Jesus knew the point these guys are going to raise. That's why you see in verse 31, look at this. If I bear witness of myself, 
In other words, if I, I alone testify about myself, I know, this is my wording, my testimony is not true. I understand what you're thinking. And Jesus acknowledging that his testimony alone about himself would not be valid, so he goes on to give other witnesses. The first witness is verse number 32. There is another, someone other than Jesus. That's what he means, isn't it? When he says there's another. Who bears witness of whom? Of me. And I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. So who is this he? That's a question that you ask, isn't it? Who is this he? He says, the witness which he witnesses of me is true. So Jesus alludes that it is the Father Yahweh who testifies in conjunction with Jesus himself. You ask the question, Pastor, how do you know this is true? How do you know he's referring to Jesus? Uh, sorry, to Yahweh. We see that later on in chapter 8, when the Pharisees once again question Jesus, you bear witness of yourself and your witness is not true, look at the response Jesus gave. In John chapter 8, verse 17 and 18, he talks about, you know, it is, the, the Pharisees are saying it's also written, you have more than two witnesses, and after saying this, Jesus is saying this, I am one who bears witness of myself, that's what we looked at earlier, and what does he say next? And the Father who sent me bears witness of me. So Jesus is pointing everything to the Father. So the point of this particular top, particular witnesses is that his self-testimony about the deity of Jesus is true for two reasons. Number one, because he never acted independently. We looked at it earlier. He, he said, I can do nothing on my own. And number two, the reason, most important reason, is because the Father bore witness to Jesus through Jesus' testimony. So that's his first defense. Let's read on the second defense as you come to verses 33 to 35. The, uh, let me state what the defense is. So first one is the Father bears witness. Second one is this, John the Baptist bears witness to Jesus. Look at this passage. You have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth, yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was the burning and shining lamb, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. You know, church, we have to understand the audience here, and who are the offenders, the Pharisees. They knew the scripture very well. And they have learned from their little age that God sent John the Baptist in fulfillment of a particular promise that you see in the Old Testament. So they know about John the Baptist, and they know the Old Testament prophecies, such as in Isaiah 40, it says, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. You heard that, right? In Malachi 3.1, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Who is he talking about? John the Baptist. So John the Baptist came to bear witness of Jesus, or pointing everyone to Christ. But look at this passage in John chapter 1, verse 8. I want you to see this about John the Baptist. He was not the light, but was sent by whom, church? The Father, to bear witness of that light. So Jesus, John was only a lamp and not the light, but he bore witness to the light. So Jesus makes a point that this John the Baptist was sent by the Father. 
Listen, Jesus is saying it was the Father who sent the witness in that human form, yet you did not believe. You did not believe. And Jesus further tells them, look at this passage again, very interesting passage in verse 35, why they have missed out with John the Baptist. Look at this verse again. He was the burning and shining lamp, but you were willing, read the next word with me, for a time. ESV might say for a while. For a time to rejoice in his light. Jesus hits the main problem with the Jews and John with the phrase for a time, for a while. So what is Jesus saying here? He says the Jewish leaders were interested in John when he was popular, but they never took his message to heart. In other words, Jesus is saying, there was a window of opportunity for a time, for a while, for the Jews to believe, but they missed it. Now the window is closed. So Jesus implies that they should have followed the one that John the Baptist was pointing to. Church, there's a lesson for us here, church. Some of us are interested in church, in the Bible study, in the prayer, for a while. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you called the pastor or the elders and say, Pastor, I'm having a problem with this particular passage. Can you explain this to me? Or when was the last time you called him, Pastor, I'm in trouble. Can you pray for me? I need this. Can you pray for me? So when do we come to God is... I'm sorry, I'm not saying don't come, call me, please. Call me anytime. I'm just trying to bring a point here. You know, we, we, we come like these Jewish people that Jesus is accusing of for a while to Christ. For a while, and when we are in difficulty, while we need intercessory prayers, while we lo lose our loved ones, or while we are in desperation, the moment our needs are met, we are not to be seen. We are not to be seen. Just like these Pharisees with John the Baptist, we too appealed to Christ for a while, not for relationship, but to make our needs met. To make our needs met. We do not want Him to be the Lord of our lives. We just want Him as a Santa Claus. Give me, give me, give me what I need. But Jesus offers much more than what you need in this world. He offers eternal life. Eternal life, church. Here's the warning for every one of us, including myself. Don't miss the opportunity when you have time. Listen, church. For this time too, what you have right now, for some, will soon become for a while of the past. For a while of the past. So do not procrastinate. If today you are convicted, today is the day. Today is the day. So the first difference Jesus gave was the Father bears witness. Second was John bears, John the Baptist bears witness. And let's go to the third one. He talks about his works bear witness. Look at this. But I have greater witness than John's for the works which the Father has given me to finish. The very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. So he says by his works, Jesus is simply referring to the signs and wonders that he has performed. 
and his miracles were unique signs that he had been sent by the Father. So Jesus reiterated this fact again. Later on, we learn in John chapter 10. The Jews came to him in John chapter 10 and asked, If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Here's the response. John 10 verse 25. Jesus answered, I told you and you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name. They are bear witness of me. Jesus' miracles gave abundant testimony that he is Christ, the Son of God. And we, we studied that on the very first day as we look at the Gospel of John. The purpose that John wrote this again is for that. But these, what all the signs are written that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ. So, so far, Jesus has presented two, three witnesses. Number one, the Father. Number two, John the Baptist. Number three, his works. Number four, let me, let me present it and explain to you. The fourth one is the scriptures bear witness for me. That's what he says. Let's break it down. Verse number 35. So, sorry, 37. And the Father himself who was who sent me, has testified of me, you have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his form. You have neither heard, heard his voice at any time, nor seen his form. The scholars say that this phrase, Father has testified, may be in reference to the voice came from heaven at the Jesus' baptism. The Father also testified of Jesus as his son on the Mount of Transfiguration. I know that you don't find this in the Gospel of John, but I'm sure these witnesses or this audience have heard it. You know, we looked at last time about hearing his voice and really understanding or responding to his voice. The Jew, though the Jews were privy to this, they never believed in Jesus as Son of God. Let us read on, verse 38. But you do not have his word abiding in you. Why? Because whom he sent him, you do not believe. Jesus is talking to the scholars of the scriptures. We have to understand, and some of us are scholars of scriptures. We love the word. And he says to them, you cannot comprehend or understand the scripture in the right way because you do not believe in, the, in, in him. Verse 39, look at this again. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. So Jesus further says, you study the scriptures, but you miss out on who Jesus is, the promised Christ. Jesus is implying that, fellows, if Jews carefully study the scriptures, you would find me. You would certainly find me because it all bears witness of me. That's what Jesus is saying here. Why do I say this? Just read through the Bible, church, as you go from Genesis all the way to Malachi, because this is the book, the scriptures that they had, you see Jesus being mentioned in every, every book of the Bible. A great homework for you. Every book of the Bible, you'll see the, his prophecy is being mentioned. Starting from Genesis. Starting with Genesis 3.15, isn't it? Where the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. And the list can go on, and I don't have time to go through that, but the most beautiful part is that you capture this. When Jesus was walking on the road to Emmaus, and he has his two confused disciples, 
And how is Dr. Luke recording this? Listen to this. Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Do you get it? Beginning with Moses. In all the scriptures, Jesus is talking to these two confused disciples that these scriptures are pointing at me. So Jesus, in, in verse 38 and 39, Jesus telling them the evidence is right there. The reason they did not hear God's voice or see God's form is because they did not believe in Jesus. And in this verse 39, he says, you know that, you know that in the scriptures you have eternal life, that you know that, but you completely missed out that they testify of me as the only source of eternal life. Then Jesus reiterated this fact that he alone can impart eternal life. We looked at it last, last Sunday or Sunday before, but let's read verse 40. And it tells again, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. You come to me, you get eternal life. You are not willing to come to me. You, are, you know the scripture fully well. You seek for eternal life. You do not have eternal life because you do not come to me. You have not understood the scripture well because the scripture is pointing to me and I am the only source of eternal life. So church, in the, in the verses 31 to 30, as we look at the, the defense for his deity, Jesus is presenting it. He is giving adequate witness to back up his claim that he is equal with God. Four things he said. His father testified. John the Baptist testified. Jesus' works testified, and the scriptures testified. I hope you get it. Now we must know, Jesus is talking to biblical scholars, fellows who know the scriptures very well. These are zealous students of the scriptures. They didn't lack anything. So what was the problem? What was the problem then? Good question to ask, isn't it? What kept them from believing in Christ? And why did they eventually murder the Savior whom the fathers had sent? Why? You know the scriptures. It can only boil down to one root cause. The pride of outward religiosity. The pride of outward religiosity. You know, many amongst us may have this problem today. And many that you know may have this problem today. Then it begs the question, church, a personal question to you and to me and to those who are listening online, if you have all the evidences, why don't you commit your lives to the Lord? Same answer. Pride. Pride. Pride is the root Sin of all sins. Pride deceives into thinking that we can be good enough to enter into heaven. Pride causes us to put up a good outward front to impress others while we hide the way we re who we really are in our hearts. Now Jesus is talking about that pride here in the rest of the passage that we are looking at. He's saying that's a primary reason for their denial of the deity of Christ. He says their pride comes through in four ways here. We're going to look at that very quickly. 
And church, I want, before I go into details, this is a personal message to many of us, as many of us struggle with this sin of pride. So as we go through, go through this text, I want you to ask yourself a question, where do I stand? Who is this Jesus to me? Why do I, why do I believe in him? Better ask, do I really believe in him? If I ask you, all of you will say, yes, I do. But let me ask you, do you really believe in him? Do you really believe in him? So here's what Jesus said. The first reason, let me state it and then I'll, I'll explain this to you. Why you deny the deity of Christ is because you study the scripture. All of us, we study the scripture. To be puffed up with pride. That's what Jesus is saying here. You study the scripture, which is good. You say, Pastor, I study the scripture. But the motive is wrong. To be puffed up with pride. Let me expand on that, church. Let's go back to verse 39 for a minute, just so that we can capture the picture properly. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. And then in verses 41 he, and 42, I do not receive honor from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in you. What is Jesus saying here? In these verses, Jesus is saying you study your scripture to gather head knowledge and information, not to grow in humility and love for the Lord. That's what he's talking about, simply. That's what he's talking about. The scripture has not transformed your heart. Had no impact in your heart. But you can quote the scriptures. You can quote it. So let us understand this. The Jewish rabbis were legendary in their study of the scriptures. They memorized large portions of it from the Hebrew Bible. I don't know if you know that most of them had count, they counted the words and the letters. They can simply narrate the entire Old Testament verbatim. They can say it word to word. Memorized it. But the problem is, church, they took great pride in their great learning. They knew the Bible, but they missed Jesus because they had used their great knowledge to feed their pride. That's why. Now, Jesus makes a contrast here. Look at this verse 41. Oh, I love this passage. It convicted me so much. Jesus talking about himself. Look at me, Jesus says. I do not receive honor from man. Jesus means that he is not seeking anyone's praise to build up his image, as they were. Jesus always lived to please the Father and to do his will. He sought to glorify God only. But these Jewish leaders were using their knowledge of Scripture to show off their knowledge, to receive honor from others, not to glorify God. Note Jesus' words in verse 42. But I know you. Can we say that together? But I know you. Church, for a moment, pause and think that Jesus is right in front of you. And you are quoting the scriptures to him. Jesus says, stop, son. But I know you. Wow. Scary, isn't it? Scary. Even right now, I get goosebumps. Scary. But I know you. 
Jesus says to them directly, I could rightly judge your inner thoughts and motives. I know that you are studying the scriptures. I have no problem with that, but to increase your own glory, not to grow in the love for the Lord. Then he says in the same verse 42, look at this. You do not have the love of God in yourself, which means the scripture, studying the scripture should have led to the love and you don't have it. You don't love the Lord. If you are truly studying the scriptures, church, the, the outcome will be more than the head knowledge, you'll be humble and you'll love the Lord. You'll love the Lord. This is the first great commandment, isn't it? To love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So let me ask you some life application questions here, church. It's about studying the scriptures. Are you studying the scriptures at all? I know that I can say that most of you do that. But I must pause here and testify to a dear brother, I don't know if he's here or not, uh, Brother Victor. We had a youth meeting the other day for the parents, and one of the things that he mentioned was that, that he does devotion with the children in the mornings and in the evenings. In the mornings and in the evenings. And he says, there are days that I'm tired, but still I discipline myself to do it with them. You study the scriptures. Do we have time for the scriptures? Second question I want to ask you is that, are you studying the scriptures to reveal Jesus Christ to yourself? Or is it to gather some head knowledge? You know, there is nothing wrong with sound doctrine and, and sound academic knowledge of the Bible, but the ultimate point of the Bible should be to reveal more and more of who Christ is and what He has done for you. The next question I want to ask is, you study a Bible now leading you to greater humility or greater pride? Big question. Studying the Bible properly will show you how great your sin is. And how holy your God is. So being a filthy sinner, it will show you his majesty and his great power. He'll humble you as you realize his amazing grace. But if you start to think that you are better than other Christians because you know theology and, and you delight in proving that they're wrong and you're right, then church, please listen. It defeats the purpose. It is a pharisaical behavior. There is nothing different from you and a Pharisee. Studying the Bible rightly will lead to more humility, graciousness, and not to pride. Let me ask you another question. Is your study of the Bible causing you to love God more and more? Jesus hits these Jews with they did not love God because they are not studying with the right motive. They were not seeking His glory. They were, they were not living to please Him. Church, proper study of the Bible will show you more and more of His grace. The Scripture will reveal His great love and uh, in sending His own Son to die for your sins, it will cause you to love Him more and more. But the pride of using the Bible to impress others will keep you from the genuine faith. So the first reason Jesus says here is that you study the Scriptures to be puffed up with pride. Let's move on. The second reason he says here is this. I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. Let me make a statement and I will explain this to you. 
The second reason why you are denying the deity of Christ is that you want God who fits in to your box. You have a particular understanding of God. This is how God should be. Let me explain in other words. Jesus is saying here, if you, you want to make God to be what you want Him to be, rather than submitting to Him as He is. Jesus is claiming here that Jesus came in His Father's name, which means Jesus came in Father's authority. Jesus proclaimed who the Father is, but you did not receive me because I do not fit into your box. That's what Jesus is saying here. Church, listen, one of the ways you can put God in a box is through our misunderstandings of who He is and His nature. We choose to believe what we want to believe in God. But please get this, church. We have to know and to believe what He has revealed Himself in the Scripture. Holistically, the complete God. But many would try to defend God in a, very, in a way that is simplistic that is inconsistent of who God is. A great classical example is that all of us would say a statement, God is love. We love that. God is love. Of course it is true because God is the very embodiment of love. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. Love is part of the fabric of God, but this is simplistic if we do not take into account God's other attributes. Keep in mind, church, that Jesus is here addressing to a group of religious leaders. They knew the scriptures well and devoted to their religion. Jesus is warning them of the consequences of not knowing God for who He is. Look at the last part of it. What is He saying here? If another comes in His own name, Him you will receive. Jesus is saying that their rejection of true God made them susceptible to follow false messiahs who come in their own name. So what Jesus means is that if another comes who fits into your box, you will receive him. Gladly. You will receive him. That is why these religious leaders, or even some of you, prone to follow false leaders. You prefer to hear the TV evangelist who gives you the message that you want to hear. That is how you get swayed, church. Because they will talk more and more about love, mercy, faithfulness of God, which are all true. Which are all true. His providence and His protection, but not the judgment or the wrath of God. If you're only reading the parts about God's love, but skip the parts about His holiness and judgment, you fall into error. So when you're reading the Bible, please, make sure you read all of it, church. And here's what I want to tell you about our church here, even though we are small, my only desire, I'm telling you from the heart, is that we, God will look at us and be pleased. I'm not looking for any other accolades, any other recognition. I am not looking for big numbers. I'm looking that God will look at that and say, well done, I'm pleased with you. So here's what I want you to do. Make sure that the pastor teaches the whole counsel of God. All that the Bible teaches about God and Christ, and that is why, church, we discipline ourselves to go verse by verse in the Bible. 
If the pastor goes on with popular cultural trends and modern philosophy or inclusive trends or compromise biblical values to be in line with popular churches, we can easily fill the pews. But we'll soon begin to compromise the scriptures. So an application question is that, is your church faithfully representing the name of the Father? Does the teaching promote godliness? So as your pastor, let me tell you this. Every one of you here, those who are listening online, you have the right to question me. You have the right to question the elders. You have the right to question every ministry leader. If and when you see that the teaching or the exhortation is varying from the scriptures, please hold me accountable. Hold the elders accountable. Hold the ministry leaders accountable. So we looked at two reasons why you deny the deity of God. First, the study of the scriptures be puffed up. Second, you want God to fit into your box. And the third reason he's saying is that you aspire to impress others. Look at this. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? So God is charging them, you will not believe in God if that your religion does. All that it does is to impress others outwardly rather than seeking to please God. You know, interesting, uh, later on we'll see in John chapter 12, uh, speaking of some of the Jewish rulers who believed in Jesus, but they have not confessed, in, confessed him, for the fear that they may be kicked out of the synagogues, they, what they do is that, you know, this is what they say, Jesus' own words. For they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. They didn't want to proclaim their faith. So he says that some of these Jewish leaders believed, but their faith was not genuine because they loved the praise of men. The pride lures us into religious hypocrisy, church. We want others to think that we are better than, our, better, than, better than we know ourselves to be. We focus on our appearances. We are concerned about what the others might think of us. We forget the most important thing is what God thinks of us. Many of us fall into this sort of thing, pretends that Jesus has a good name for that. Whitewashed tombs. Everybody say the word, please. Whitewashed tombs. Imagine Jesus on the day that you are, because my prayer has been always, I have told many times, that I'm not saying I'm perfect, but this is what I want Jesus to say. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Instead, imagine me walking there and Jesus standing there and saying, whitewashed tomb. We can hide from people. We cannot hide from him. Your ungodly behavior is witnessed by your family more than anyone else, church. The kids can smell hypo hypocrisy easily. When they are old enough, they walk away from the faith. Then we wonder why our kids are going off track. Church, if your loved one sees your heart and knows your motive, how much more will the Lord know? You be right with God. You be right with God. So let me leave you with this great say, saying of the 21st, 21st century theologian. Aspire not to be great in the eyes of men, but aspire to be great in the eyes of God. In case you wonder who the theologian is, you're looking at him. I sincerely 
I was convicted and I, and I kind of wrote it down to tell myself. Let's move on. So three points you have raised already. Three reasons why you deny. First is because you are puffed up with pride of the scriptures. You want to fit God into your box. Third is aspire to impress others. And the last one he talks about in verses 40, 45 to 47. Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? You know, it's very interesting for us to, in order for us to understand this text, is we should understand who Moses is to the Jews. Otherwise, you want to understand, Moses is arguably the greatest figure in Judaism other than God. He helps, them, he helps bring the Israelites out of slavery. He leads them for the next four decades. He was the major character in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and apparently he is the one who wrote the, the first five books of the Bible. And the Mosaic law was given specifically to the nation of Israel. It was made up of three parts, the Ten Commandments, the ordinances, and the worship system, which included the priesthood, the tabernacle, and the offerings. And the festivals. So Moses' writings are very important for the Jewish community. So what Jesus is saying here is this. If you believe Moses so much, which they all do, you would believe in his writings, which is the Pentateuch, which is the five, first five books of the Bible, Genesis to Deuteronomy. If you have believed the Old Testament, then you would not attack Jesus because it all points to him. That's what he's saying. So ironically, the, these Jews claimed to believe in Moses. They studied Moses extensively, but they missed what Jesus was pointing out. You know, very interesting, as I was preparing these, when I did my reading, I found that Philip found Nathaniel. You, you, you know the story in, in John chapter 1. Here's what uh, Philip says. So beautiful. Confirms the point here. Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, We have found him of whom, what? Moses in the law, also the prophet did what? wrote Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Do you see the connection here? So the law of Moses in which these Jews professed to believe should have convicted them of their sins and caused them to long for the Savior who would be, have been pierced for their transgressions, crushed for their iniquities. Isaiah 53. And as Paul said, this should have served as the tutor leading them to faith in Christ. So Christ naturally, it begs a question, church here, why is that they could not see it? Why is that? It's because their focus was in the wrong places. They're reading the laws of Moses, but they are missing the, 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 the content of that. They're only focusing on the outward performance of certain aspects of the law, rather than the essence of the law. The essence of the law was to love God from all your heart. So if you take pride in your Christian performance, rather than glorifying in Christ Jesus, you will miss faith in Christ. The Jews were very religious people. They were very stringent on their observance of the Mosaic law. But they failed to see where that was directing them. They understood the letter of the law, but not the spirit of the law. They missed out on Christ because of pride. So some of us possess this behavior, church. We stick to all the rituals outwardly. I have to be in church. I have to give tithes. I have to dress like this. I have to go here. This can all be rituals if there is no heart transformation. 
There is a form of godliness in us, but God is not in us. That's why Paul wrote to Timothy and he says, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. The Lord has a term for that, and I said it earlier. What is it? White washed tomb. How about you? So if, maybe, if I may be bold enough to say this, church, some of us may be in this category. For those around you, you look so pious, holy, and religious. For the Lord, you may be a whitewashed tomb. I may be a whitewashed tomb. So all our hope must be in Christ, not in our religious performance. And when we do something, we do it to an audience of one. That's Christ. So as I bring this message to a close, we looked at the defense for the deity of Christ, and we looked at the denial of the deity of Christ. It says the study to be puffed up. You place God in a box. You aspire to impress others. You thrive on religious acts. I don't know your heart, church, but God does. Let me ask you these life application questions very quickly. Examine how you use the Bible. How you study the Bible. Is it to boast of your knowledge? Is it to show your super spirituality? Is it causing you to grow in humility or is it causing you to grow in love for God? That's my first question I want to ask you. The second question I want to ask you is examine how you view God. A God of love, mercy and compassion and forgiveness. Or you see that a God of judgment, condemnation and wrath. Or is a combination of both. Or examine the motives for what you do. Is it to seek glory from others? Or do you aspire to be great in the eyes of men or in the eyes of God? Examine your religious acts. Do you take pride in your outward religious performance? Or do you boast in Christ and Christ alone? Shall we pray? Church, the only question I want to leave with you only you can answer this question. On the day that the call comes for every one of us, do you think God is going to look at you and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant? Or the Lord is going to say, you whitewashed tomb.